Welcome in, everyone, to episode two of Up and Down, the data-driven disc golf podcast. I'm Jesse, joined as usual by Joey. Hello. We're the nerds who run this thing, and on this episode, we'll be breaking down the 2022 Dynamic Discs Open. But first, how you doing, man? I am doing excellent. Bit of a rainy day here in Massachusetts, but the weather's looking really good later in the week, so excited to get out. I've got a tournament at Maple Hill on Friday, a flex start that they're they're doing, so I'm taking off from work a little bit early to to do that. Um, nice, man. That's awesome. Yeah, really cool. They every every month, the first Friday of the month, they do a tournament. Um, they rotate through their layout, so it's not just the pro layout. They do some of the easier ones and the intermediate ones. So um, really cool way to get a rated round in and get to play some of the other layouts and kind of no stress because of the flex start. So, you know, you, it's just one round. Yeah, that's super nice. I know for me, being in Arizona and not being in Phoenix, it is hard to find tournaments week in and week out where I can get rated rounds, you know, so that's super nice. Yeah, it's it's cool to have a, you know, a consistent source of that scratching that tournament itch. What about you? How are you doing? I'm okay. Uh, I am currently recording from a hotel room in Southern California. So a little bit of work travel this week, but cool. things are going smooth, you know, so can't complain and uh, wasn't going to let that stop me from recording episode number two, you know? Well, glad, glad we're able to do it. Why don't we jump right into our 60 second stories? Yes, sir. So this is all the biggest headlines from the weekend. But for many of you, this won't be the first time you're hearing of these. So we're going to try to keep it to 60 seconds or less. So start it off. Joe, I'll kick it over to you. Why don't you tell us about Kristen Tatar winning her second consecutive tournament right before heading back home to Estonia? Yeah, r- really cool to see Kristen get get another one in a row. I feel like she's been right on the edge. Um, she's actually finished on the podium in every tournament that she's played this year. Literally that's, every single that's event. That's seven in a row. Mind-blowing. Yeah, which is insane. So, I mean, she absolutely deserves it. She's she's working her butt off out there and really happy to see her win her second one in a row. I feel like I feel like in this stretch of tournaments that she played, if she left with just one win, it it would feel like that that wasn't representative of how well she was playing. So, I could not agree more. Yeah. Yeah. Super happy for Kristen. Tell me about Rick. All right. I, I'm getting to the point where I think we have to come up with a special uh, name of recognition for people who just put the smackdown on the rest of the field. I'm thinking the threshold is like winning by five strokes or so. You know, we saw sure. Stacey Haas do it uh, earlier in Tallahassee, and now we've got Rick doing it on the MPO side. He took this thing down with a score of 10 under, which is obviously very low compared to other tournaments. But 10 under, the next closest was 4 under, Simon Lazat, nice job. And super awesome because uh, we are one year after the passing of his late sister, Lauren. Uh, So he had dedicated this tournament to her before the tournament started. So to not only see him win, but just obliterate everybody else was super awesome. And of course, uh, the event being sponsored by Ricky's manufacturer sponsor as well just put a nice little bow on the whole weekend for him so i'm sure he's feeling great yeah this one felt pretty special uh i i did actually catch the end of the live coverage and you know the little interview with brian Earhart and ricky was was definitely heartfelt and i i think they both said some great things and it really put in perspective how much this meant to ricky um i know everybody assumed it would mean a lot to him but he, he made it pretty clear that it did um so really, really happy for Rick. And I mean, that's that's his second win this year, too, right? Yeah, at least. Um, yeah, he took down Texas States. And uh, yeah, yeah, at least that one. I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but yeah, I, I think it's just the two. But he, he's obviously having an excellent year as well. So at least on this tournament, Dynamic Discs Open, Let's take a closer look at what Ricky and Kristen did to take down this particular tournament. So once again, I'll pass it over to you, Joe, for What It Takes, the segment where we break down our winners and see what it took to place 
in this event? Yeah, so I'll, I'll start off on the MPO side with, with Rick. Um, Rick had a ton of stats that, that pushed him way, way ahead of, of the rest of the field. Um, the, the first one, first and foremost, being sh- strokes gained T to green. So Ricky gained almost 17 strokes on the field, T to green. The next closest behind him was Chris Dickerson, who, who was actually pretty close, but Chris ended up finishing in eighth, mainly due to losing two strokes on the field putting, whereas Ricky was able to gain four strokes on the field on the putting green, all of that in circle 1x. Um, Ricky was first in strokes gained tee to green and 16th in strokes gained putting. There was a lot of variation in, in strokes gained putting in this tournament. Usually it's pretty tight towards the top of the MPO field, but there was a lot of variation here. And I think that's, that's pretty obvious that that was due to some of the conditions that, that our players were seeing out there. Rick was fourth in circle 1x putting and 95th in circle 2 putting. Again, uncharacteristic for Rick, but I, I think that can be attributed to the conditions. 7th and 13th in Circle 1 and Circle 2 in regulation, respectively. And Rick was 1st in holes parked and 1st in scramble percentage, which is, which is pretty excellent, um, especially given the conditions. Yeah, that is super interesting because it, for me in particular, scramble percentage is not something that I tend to look at because it, it's a percentage. It doesn't take into consideration how many attempts they have. And so it's a nice high-level stat, but at this particular tournament, I think everybody had so many scramble attempts that the percentage, in my opinion, was a little bit more useful to look at for this tournament than others. And yeah, he's right at the top at only 53%. And that's a really low number talking about someone who led the tournament. Right. So that's on 19 attempts, Ricky was able to get, get up and down on 10 of those. Um so great, great scramble performance from Rick. Not that we expect anything less. Ricky had 15 OB throws, which sounds like a huge number, but that was the 17th best. Yes. So he's, uh, he's gaining strokes on the field by going OB as few as 15 times. Yes. Uh, there was only one player in the MPO field who had single-digit OBs and it was yeah. barely it was Tim Barham with nine yeah and I, I the, have some more stats on that later on yes for sure uh in the FPO there were a couple as well and I'm sure we'll talk about it but yeah I, I've got some deep dives there so yes to, to, to put in perspective 15 OBs off the tee Rick's OB rate was 21 percent 21 percent one in five holes he threw directly out of bounds that's that's how how crazy these conditions were out in Emporia. Yes. Yeah, absolutely crazy. Yeah. So, you know, to to compare Rick to to some of the other finishers here, um, you know, strokes gained T to green. Chris Dickerson was was just behind him like I mentioned before. And then there was a big drop off of almost 3 strokes to the third place in strokes gained T to green, which was Drew Gibson. And Drew Gibson only finished in 26th, again, mostly due to not gaining many strokes putting. And he had substantially more out of bounds than everybody else. Again, we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But um, there, was, there was a big jump but between Ricky and Chris and the rest of the field as far as strokes gained tee to green. That was where they seemed to, to create the most separation. And then Ricky also had a pretty good circle 1x putting performance. Um, and that's why he was able to to tie it together. Moving Let's... over to FPO. Yep, you read my mind. So <laughs> Kristen Tatar, looking at what she did this weekend to pull out the win. So the big number for her was shots gained tee to green. So that and I mean, this is quite literally a big number. Twenty one point six four shots gained tee to green. Good enough for first, but it was close. So Ella Hansen was only 0.04 strokes behind that in second. But then behind Ella, there was a bit more of a gap with Jen Allen coming in third at 19.09. So Ella and Kristen really set themselves apart there. 
In addition to being first in shots gained tee to green, Kristen was 10th in shots gained putting. And this is in a field of, I think, 45 women. She gained 4.17 strokes putting. And that was pretty evenly split between circle one and circle two. So she was 17th in shots gained circle one, 10th in shots gained circle two. And similar to what you said about Ricky, she was able to not lose as many strokes with the OBs only going out of bounds 17 times, which again, sounds crazy. We'll dive into it, but that was good for 17th out of 45. There you go. So other notable stats here, third in scramble percentage again. So this is really the first time that we've seen a strong correlation between scramble percentage and overall placement in the tournament. Yeah. And again, that just comes down to these players having to do it more often than normal. Right. Uh, Usually it's sort of, you know, random. You get a few, a few attempts around and, and obviously it's helpful, but you know, in this tournament, everybody had to scramble. There was a lot of attempts for everybody. So the players that were able to get up and down were, were gaining strokes on the field. Absolutely. And another big picture for Kristen was just avoiding those strokes over par. So she did have a over par score on 21% of holes, which again, way more than uh, is normal. But the vast majority of those were single bogeys. And so she really did a good job of avoiding those nasty blow up holes uh, much, much better than the rest of the field did. So that certainly contributed to her first place finish this weekend. Yeah, if you run down the leaderboard, um, notably not Emily Beach, but pretty much everybody else, Katrina, Ella Hansen, Paige, Haley, Valerie, all have you know more than double bogeys, you know, triple and, and greater, and, and Kristen did not. Um, yeah. Another another notable thing is that, you know, more so than we've seen in other tournaments, up at the top of the leaderboard, there was quite a bit of variation as far as the combinations of strokes gained tee to green, strokes gained putting, and out-of-bounds strokes in both MPO and MPO than we're used to seeing. You know, t- typically, you know, on, on any given course, um, you know, let's say shots gained tee to green tends to create you know, the most, the most swing towards the top of the leaderboard. And then maybe putting is relatively consistent amongst the top guys. But, you know, for example, Kristen, 21.6 strokes gained tee to green, four strokes gained putting. Katrina, who finished only one stroke behind her, 14.5 strokes gained tee to green and seven strokes gained putting. And Katrina had three fewer OBs. So they had drastically different performances in you know, putting tee to green and staying in bounds, but they finished only a stroke apart. Um, so it, it was really interesting to to see a lot of that variation. And I think it created a lot more diversity in some of the players that we saw toward the top of the leaderboard. Yes, and I like that point that you make about the shots gained tee to green. And one of the things I noticed was, first of all, looking in the MPO field and looking at the players who all tied for third there was five of them and they are all names that we are not familiar with seeing at that high up on the leaderboard right and that note you made about shots gained tee to green and talking about these guys who all finished tied for third let's talk about jake hebenheimer so if you haven't seen him play go watch the jomez coverage uh, just a super fun player to watch. The dude absolutely bombs and has a super cool putting style. It's very unique, so go check it out. But what I noticed in looking at these numbers is he he finished third, right? Finished third in the tournament. He was fourth in shots gained tee to green, and his shots gained putting numbers are like the definition of average. Yeah, so, less than 0.1 strokes. Yes. So he gained 0.01 strokes on the field in circle 1x and 0.07 in circle 2. Basically. So no. 
yes, it it was a completely field average performance on the putting green for Jake Ebenheimer, but backed by fourth in shots gained tee to green and only 15 OBs, which I think is the same number that Ricky had. That's right. Just that, basically, by itself, was enough to put him in third on this tournament. Yeah. So yeah. it really speaks to how well or how important that that tee to green game was in the conditions that these players had to face this weekend. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it's... He, he picks up, you know, one, maybe two more circle 1x putts. All of a sudden, he's in second place, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It, it could have been... A little bit different story for him. Another thing yeah. looking at Jake's stats is, again, this is a stat I, I don't normally care to talk about, but he was second in parked percentage. And when you're talking about a tournament like this, it is so important to not have to putt in those conditions, you yeah. know? And that, and I think, is a huge reason that he's in third, you know? I, he didn't have I to think attempt as many putts. What says the most about Jake's parked being you know, tied for second there is he's tied with Simon Lozat and in first is Ricky Waisaki in Emporia. So I think that says a ton about how far and how accurately this guy can throw. Yeah. You know, he's, his, he his circle one and circle him. two in regulation stats are, are excellent. Yeah. Ninth and 14th. Like, yeah. Yeah. And again, those all get wrapped up into that shots gained T to green number. So they right. don't treat them as independent, you know? Right. But yeah, super, super cool. <clears throat> so we had a whole host of other players who tied for third here. And maybe the name that stands out the most to most people is Brody Smith. Yeah. So we got to talk about the weekend he had, because this was certainly his best performance that he's had. Not close. Definitely. So this was just like a super solid week. Um, he was not top 10 really in any of the major shots gain stats. Some of the other stats uh, he was, uh, which is awesome. And we should definitely talk about it. So first of all, the shots gained T to green 10.08 good for 11th on the weekend in a field of about 106 and that 106 number is excluding anyone who did not finish the tournament. So 106 people finished the tournament. He's 11th in shots gained T to green. Baked into that T to green performance, third in circle one in regulation and fourth in circle two in regulation. And those were far and away the most standout numbers for, from this whole stat page for Brody. In addition to, again, 15 OBs, which seems like it, that was a very magic number this weekend. Yeah. 51st in scramble. So, you know, not everyone at the top of the leaderboard has to be a top two or three scramble guy. 77% um, circle one, 44th in the field, but honestly, not bad with the conditions. No, respectable. So, Gaining strokes on the field. Yes, absolutely. Um. 26th in shots gained putting. So top quartile or so. Yep. Uh, and then roughly top 10% in shots gained tee to green. So just a super, super solid all around performance from Brody, which is so cool. Yeah. And I, I really liked the way that Brody talked about this tournament on his social media and what it meant to him. And you know, it's clear how much effort the guy puts in and, and how much he has been working and grinding. And to, to just see it, it pay off for him is, is a really neat thing. Yeah, so we're here for it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Worth absolutely. noting, too, is that in order to finish third, he birdied the final four holes of the tournament, which yes. included very hard holes. I mean, hole 18 was playing as one of the hardest holes all weekend. And so he started the train rolling 15, 16, 17, getting that turkey on those three holes and then managed to close it out too. So that is awesome because he started that round birdie double bogey and, uh, yeah. and then went par bogey, par bogey. So he brought it back. Yeah, it, it could have been a totally different round if he let that get to him, you know? Yeah. But 
nope. 33% birdie percentage, good for fourth. That's actually ahead of Ricky. Ricky was fifth. Oh, wow. There you go. So, so huh, that's interesting, actually. I, uh, yeah, I didn't Brody, notice that. Birdie but... had some bigger scores um, and, and okay. a little bit, a little bit gotcha. more bogey, bogeys than Rick. Um, yep. All right, I'll try to comb through the all these guys who finished third because again, these are just names we're not used to used to seeing. So Logan Harpool, another guy who finished third this week. Biggest stat for him is going to be the circle two putting. So gaining two and a half strokes on the field was good for thirteenth. Um, yeah, and the, yeah, and the OBs as well. So only twelve OBs, and again, that's a lot, but it was not a lot this weekend. It was the third best, in fact, with only 12. So that was absolutely huge. I mean, you're gaining three strokes on on Ricky, you know? Yeah. Or just not losing them, you know? Yeah, sure. Fourth in fairway hits at 76%. 14th in circle two in regulation. Only 16th in birdie percentage. And that is pretty wild because... Uh, always always birdie percentage is going to be the strongest correlation to yep. the overall leaderboard right he, he avoided those big scores yeah and yeah he only had a couple on the whole weekend uh two double bogeys and then nothing worse than that yeah so just kept it clean and uh didn't need all those birdies it was just a matter of not getting those bogeys or worse and, so and just a super solid those strokes. Yeah. clean clean round yeah Super cool. Also coming in third, we have Vaina Makala. So uh, I apologize, of course, for the pronunciation. The big one for Vaina was shots gained putting. 5.04 was good for seventh. And uh, only 14 out of bounds, which was good for 10th. Yep. 11th in birdie percentage. So again, that suggests that he probably just didn't have a ton of bogey or worse. He had bogey or worse on 25% of holes, but only one of those 18 holes was a double bogey and no triples or anything worse than that. So, yeah, the bogey number was a little high compared to a guy like Logan Harpool, but to have 17 of those 18 over par holes just be single bogeys was, was really key there. And yeah, then, he, he avoided a lot of huge numbers that uh, even these other guys, even Brody and Simon are taking, you know, more doubles and even Simon had worse than a double bogey. Yeah, Simon had a quad in there. Poor yeah. guy. But yeah, so for Vina, seventh in shots gained putting and also 22nd in shots gained tee to green. So he's in that top fifth or so in the field there. Yep. So obviously still super solid there as well. And then lastly, Aaron Gossage finished tied for third as well. 21st in shots gained tee to green with 7.02 and 25th in shots gained putting with 2.91. Only 12 OBs. Uh, again, that was so big. And only, let's see here, 12 plus 2, 14 holes over par. Two of them being worse than bogey. They were both double bogeys. Yeah, very low on the bogey percentage for for Aaron. Yep, and only twelve OBs. If I didn't mention that already, Which so was that third, was third place. Yeah, that's that's what it took to tie for third. Apparently, at this tournament, <laughs> um, just a lot of different ways to do it. But really, it was just guys who played clean and had above average performances in both putting and tee to green. And yeah. it sounds obvious on paper, but there are still ways that you can blow it, you know, even finishing top 10 and shots getting to green, you got to do everything or you're not going to be on the podium. And right. these guys I, really proved it. Yeah. I mean, look at, look at Chris Dickerson, right? I mean, he was less than a stroke behind Ricky in strokes getting to green and Ricky was first in strokes getting to green and Chris lost strokes on the field in circle one and circle two and went OB more than, more than Ricky. Yep. That's all you it know? takes. Or look at a guy like Drew Gibson, you know, just a few strokes behind them, strokes gained tee to green, pretty average as far as putting goes, and he went OB 25 times. Yeah, that'll do it, man. That's, uh, that's 10, losing 10 strokes to Ricky, yep. you know? And, hey. I mean, basically everybody lost 10 strokes to Ricky in this tournament, but... <laughs> 
Yeah, it was just one of those weeks for Ricky, man. Just, yeah. So hey, jumping, t- yeah, go ahead. It's crunch time. It is, man. It's crunch time. So this is where we are crunching all the numbers across the entire field, top to bottom, to bring you the good, the bad, the ugly, and the just plain wacky stats from the 2022 Dynamic Discs Open. And I am going to start us off here, Joe. I've got quite a list. But the first thing I've got to mention is holes over par because we saw so many more holes over par across both the MPO and FPO that that became a huge driver. And at a lot of these tournaments, um, there are just not a lot of bogeys or worse, and it leads to birdie percentage and bogey percentage uh, sort of there's some coupling there in the sense that typically players who get more birdies get less bogeys and it makes sense because everyone plays the same number of holes and so if you get more birdies there are fewer holes that you that can then be bogeys right and that just makes sense but this tournament there were just so many holes over par and it became a huge driver for the overall scores Every single player in the MPO had double-digit holes over par, with the exception of two, Simon Lazat and Kevin Jones. Now, they were very close. They each had nine holes that played over par, but that is only two holes per round. And we saw so many instances of, I mean, there must have been guys who got nine holes over par just in round three. Yeah, which was the craziest conditions out of all four of these rounds. Uh, And maybe, you know, not just round three in isolation, but between rounds two and round three, I bet most players took double digit holes over par between that 36 hole stretch. And Simon and Kevin were able to only get nine holes over par for the entire tournament, which is pretty wild if you watch the footage. Especially remembering Simon went OB 14 times, which is pretty low. But he, you know, think about what that means if he only had nine nine holes over over, and and Kevin also only went OB sixteen times. So even on some of those holes that he's taking OB strokes, he's still getting up and down for a par. Yeah, on a on a very substantial portion of those holes that they have yeah. OBs, you know. So yeah, just super impressive. So nine was the mark there for the fewest uh, in the MPO. On the FPO, it was Katrina Allen who had the fewest holes over par at 12. So every single woman in the field had at least 12 holes over par. Wild. That's a lot. That is a lot. So talking a little bit more about going out of bounds. So I I think we got to do a little roundup here on who went OB the most. Um, yes, Absolutely. In- and and there's two things at play here, right? You know, the first is is obviously the conditions um, were a huge driver, and and the other is just the nature of 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 this type of course, right? On on a wooded course, you know, some of the the hazards and the out of bounds can be more natural, so they're not necessarily a marked out of bounds zone. Whereas on some of these more open courses, you know, the course designers put these these out of bounds. To, to create a fairway and create additional challenge and obviously coupled with with the in, insane conditions this weekend that the players had to go through it it really drove these ob strokes up so there were a few mpo players that had 24 ob strokes um anthony barella garrick earthy just to name a few but notably drew gibson was at the top of the list with 25 there were two other players that had 25 as well but drew finished 26th in the tournament and his other stats are are okay they're pretty good you know third in strokes gained tee to green um quite a few birdies 25 ob strokes which is 35 percent of his drives yeah so that's more than six per round yeah that's that's about three out of every eight he's he's throwing ob and same stats on the fpo side um there were a couple couple women at 25 tiger borth and melody castrita 
And in first place, if you want to call it that, in OB is Maria Oliva with 31. Holy smokes. And she still finished in 23rd. That's crazy. And, yeah. you know, we talk about the correlation of shots gained Tita Green and overall placement in the tournament. There's always a correlation there, right? Yeah. And it's interesting that that's true because the players who have a longer T to green capability are the players who typically find more out of bounds, right? So a good example, this is Paige Pierce. Um, there was a tournament earlier this year, and I, f- I forget which one it was, but she had like six OB strokes and finished sixth in the tournament, I think. And everyone who finished better than her had like three or fewer, right? Right. And Paige is just one of those players who, because she has so much distance, she brings so much more OB into play, right? And yeah. it's it's this very interesting dichotomy that is like, I don't know how to explain it, but it, it's very cool that, uh, yeah, I don't even know how to explain it. But no, I mean, if you look at, you know, think of the MPO names that I had at the top of that list, Drew Gibson, Anthony Barella, Garrett Gerthy, you know, those are all guys that are known for these bomber throws. And, you know, it, it risks, it risks these OBs, you know, much more than the other players. And, and when a player that can throw that far is able to keep it in bounds, you know, Simon, Ricky, um, Jake, even Aaron Gossage and Brody Smith are both bombers. Yes. Um, I mean, that's that's where you're going to gain a ton of strokes tee to green if you are one of those guys that can throw it that far and you can avoid the OB, but it's hard to do. Yeah, I guess what I was trying to think of earlier is the fact that having, you know, longer distance, but that also brings more OB into play is it's it's kind of like this natural um, relief valve if you will it's it's like the game has a natural mitigation strategy against the t to green game being too too broken right if you think of it as like a game mechanics logic or game theory right it's like this built-in mechanism by which your t to green game cannot be this like dominant uh strategy to win right which is kind of nice Right, at, at least without control, right? That's without right. additional that's right. control, yeah. And so Drew, he's one of those guys that can reach any pin on the course. You know, he can get to any green in regulation, but it brings in all this OB. And if you're going to find that OB, you have to make it up somewhere. And, right. uh, you know, so their performance is still good enough to place them in the top half of the field because, you know, these are... Are, we're top players and so they are going to also be good putters and they are just getting enough distance that yeah they take an ob stroke but that's not really a stroke that they're losing to the field it might just be a stroke that's equalizing them to someone who can't get into as good position off the tee right with as much distance right and so it's not horribly surprising to me to think that people like maria and drew can have all these OBs and still place in the top half of the field, especially after looking at players like Paige Pierce, who kind of make a living doing this, you know? Right. So in a similar vein, I want to talk about just round three stats because that was the round that had the worst conditions. I mean, it it was crazy. So go watch the coverage, like I said, if you haven't already. In the MPO field, the average score in round three was 8.5 strokes over par, which is like wow. unprecedented. You know, that's just a crazy number. Every single hole on the course played over par. The easiest hole on the course was a par three that had a scoring average of 3.1. Uh, however, and I was surprised to see this, there were no holes that played a full stroke over par. So sometimes like Northwood Gold, right? Hole 12, it's a par five and the scoring average is always like six and a half. It's like over a stroke over par and the conditions don't even come into play on that hole because it's all in the woods, you know? And so with the conditions being what they were, I really thought we were going to have some holes playing over par and we didn't. Or sorry, more than one stroke. stroke. Yes, over par. 
and we didn't see that. So the the hardest hole that round played 0.92 strokes over. So it was very close, you know. Every single hole had at least eight OB strokes. So this one's interesting because there are some courses that they play on the tour where there's not OB on every hole. You know, right. there are some holes that just don't have OB. You look at where we just were a couple weeks ago at WR Jackson, there are plenty of holes there that don't have OB, or, you know, maybe they do, but it's, like, very, very far out of play. Not only is there OB on every hole on this course um, at the Country Club, but at least eight people found it on every single hole that round, which is crazy. Um, hole eight had the most OBs in round three with 96 there were 96 OBs just on that hole alone in round three. And on the final hole, hole 18, there were 94. Wow. Yes, that's a lot of OBs. <laughs> Especially um, given the field size. Yes. <laughs> so it's about... Right, so okay. So hole 8 had 96 OBs, and the field size was around 110. So it's basically one OB per person who played that hole. Yeah. Now, obviously, there are going to be some players who take two or three on that hole by themselves, right? Unfortunately. Um, but still, the average is about one per player, which is uh, <laughs> unprecedented. Like, that, that's just a crazy stat. However, despite the conditions, every single hole on the course was birdied at least once. <laughs> every single one. However, holes three four and nine were only birdied once so respectively hole three was birdied by nathan queen hole four by john willis that's a name we don't hear all that often so nice job john yeah. and hole nine was by chris dickerson hey i gotta give you a, a little uh extra tidbit on john willis's birdie on hole four yeah so, hit me. so in rounds three and rounds four round three and four at the country club on hole four, only one player was able to make it in, to circle two in regulation, not even circle one. And that player was Scott Stokely, who missed his circle two putt and then got the par with a circle two comeback putt. Wow. But John Willis had the only birdie with a 150-foot throw-in. Yes, I think I did hear on the Joe Mess coverage. So, yeah. very cool. Very Only cool. one player made it to circle two. That is wild. Yeah, that, again, I've used this term like three times now, but that is unprecedented. Like, we yeah. just don't see those holes uh, no. on tour. So, yeah, very cool. So, obviously, we've made it clear at this point that, that every single player went OB. Um, and that's, I mean, that's, that's not something that happens very often. So that's that's really unique here. And if you just look at number of OB strokes, the the fewest in in MPO was Tim Barham and the fewest in FPO was Lauren Butler with nine and eight. But importantly, both of those players only played the first three rounds because of the cut. So of players that played all four rounds, so the cut was the top 50 MPO and the top 25 FPO. Aaron Gossage and Logan Harpool both had 12 OB strokes, and that was good enough for third place for both of them, which is 17% OB. So that's insane that that's third place. And then in the FPO, it was Casey Pennington and Rebecca Cox with 9 and 10, respectively. So that's the first thing I notice when you say those stats is that, at least for the MPO, um, through three rounds the fewest OBs was nine, and then after four, it was 12. So yep. the average was still three the average OBs per round was the mark. Was, right? yep. That's right. Yeah, very cool. Yep. All right, so among all the crazy, you know, OBs, over pars, all that stuff, there were some silver linings in here, and in particular, one that I found that I really enjoyed was going into this tournament the longest birdie streak that any 
player in the FPO had all season long in all of 2022 was five holes. And at DDO, the conditions being how they were and everything, we had two players, Katrina Allen and Haley King, each had streaks of six consecutive birdies. That so, is wild. Yeah, so those are now the longest streaks uh, for any player in the FPO in 2022. So Katrina, hers came at a very opportune time. So her six in a row were holes one through six of the final round. So she just came out absolutely swinging. And I'll talk more about that round uh, at a later time. But for now, yeah, six consecutive birdies. That's the new mark to beat in the FBO field. I can't believe that that was done in this tournament in these conditions. Yeah, so for Katrina, it was in that final round where the conditions were a little bit better. Sure. And then I think for Haley, it was either in the first round or it may have also been in the last round. I am pulling that up. It was in the second round. It okay. was holes 12 through 17. Yeah, so the conditions were not great in round two. I'll certainly give her that. Um, they were not as bad as they were in round three. But yeah, round two, they they were not great. They were they were worse than they were in round four. And she was still able to get her six in a row. Very impressive. Very impressive. So all right. that's all I have for crunch time. You got You got some more for me, Jesse? I got a couple more. So taking it back to Katrina Allen. So Katrina Allen finished second in shots gained circle two and she had 3.59 strokes which was just a hair below uh the first place alexis mandahano who had 3.85 so that makes uh she's keeping her streak alive of a top five in circle two wow that was such a horrible way to say that she has finished in the top five in shots gained circle two in every single tournament that she has played this year. It's been seven events, and she has finished in the top five in shots gained circle two in every single one. So wow. if, if there are still people out there who are saying that Katrina Allen is not a good putter, there's the door, my friends. Uh, <laughs> the, the numbers don't lie. So Katrina Allen is an elite putter, and especially in circle two. That's... Jesse, that's one of my favorite things that we do on on this podcast. And I think one of the reasons that we we really wanted to do this is at the end of the day, everything we're trying to talk about is objective, right? That's exactly it. Yeah, right. We're not trying to make make guesses. We're not trying to to say, oh, well, I, I feel this or this player looked like this. I mean, it's we're trying to be factual and we're trying to be objective and you know the the storyline has has of course been in the past that Katrina is is maybe not an elite putter and it's resoundingly clear that that is not the case. Yeah, couldn't say it better. And to all you people who are listening, if you are a pro player on tour and you you know you know your game better than anybody else, if there's some talk about your game that you know is not true, come talk to us. We'll do the stats. We'll we'll back you up. You know. We'll we'll set it straight for better or worse. Yep, and and we'll talk about that whole uh, you know, pros saying I've noticed this about my game, but I don't have the stats to back it up, and then we step in. We'll get to that later today. That that'll be my take on our guess the stat when we get there. Love it. But we're not there, so we're still in crunch time. I've got one more thing I want to touch on here. Corey Ellis. So Corey Ellis set the circle one putting percentage record last year at like 93.2% or something for an entire season, which is like godly. There's no other word for it. Uh, the dynamic disc open, however, was not kind to him this year. No, so, it wasn't. No. So Corey Ellis finished uh, losing 3.06 shots in circle one, which was good for 103rd. Yeah, that's not good. Uh, that's not the Corey Ellis that we know. No, so his, he's usually on the podium. That's right. Yes. Uh, just at the Champions Cup, he was first in shots gained putting overall, I think. Uh, and just had an absolutely elite 
putting performance. And that was a major, you know, it's, he can do it under pressure. He can do it week in and week out, but not at DDO apparently. So 103rd, 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 like I said, his previous worst performance, and I was actually shocked at this, 71st at Las Vegas Challenge. So obviously that was a long time ago. Uh, that's the first big event of the year where he finished 71st and since excluding dynamic disc open and las vegas challenge his next worst performance was 24th which was actually just at the previous event it was at jonesboro and in that event he still gained 3.3 shots on the field in c in c1x so that put him in 24th which there were about 100 people in that field so it's like the top the top 25 percent or so and before DDO, that was his second worst putting performance in C1X on the year. So to see losing three strokes, I mean, not only is it the first tournament of the year where he's, oh, sorry, it's not. I was going to say it's the first tournament that he's lost strokes to the field, but at Las Vegas, he lost half a stroke. So sure, whatever. It's the first tournament he's lost multiple strokes, right? Um, so obviously I don't expect that we'll see this week in and week out now, but, uh, yeah, it was not the putting performance we usually expect from him. And he ended up finishing tied for 82nd. Yeah. I, I wonder if that, you know, what, what Corey would say if we had the opportunity to ask him, you know, is that mainly conditions or did he just have an off weekend? Maybe, maybe both. Yeah, I think if it was going to happen at any time, it, you'd have to have something unordinary going on. And in sure. this case, that would be those conditions. But yeah, who knows? So anyway, why don't we jump in now to some Guess the Stat? Sure. Everybody's favorite segment. Mine included. Of course. So I'll start it off for you, Jesse. So I'm going to name four FPO players. Okay. And this is my three guess. The stats are not specific to DDO. These are season wide um, stats that I've pulled here. So the, f the four players that I feel that we've been talking about the most in FPO are Kristen, Katrina, Paige, and Valerie. Yep. You agree with that? I certainly agree. What is the worst finish in any event this year? among those four women well it's not Kristen. i know that i'm pretty sure her worst finish this year is third so that, that is exactly right she has, yeah she is seven for seven in podium finishes yes mind-blowing so it's not her um i'm thinking it's probably val i think she's had some weeks where she's lost strokes to the field putting and that's usually one of her strong suits um, so I could see a week like that where maybe she finishes even outside the top 10. Um, Paige, I can't really think off the cuff of any tournament that she's finished really poorly. Uh, and Kat's always in the mix. I think her worst finish this year is like seventh or something. So I'm between Val and Paige. Um, I'm going to have to I'm, say I'm going to give you a small hint. Okay. I'll give you a hint. Paige and Val are are tied, so their worst finish is is the same number. I'm gonna go with both of them then. But I had you not said that, I would have gone with Val. Right. And what what finish do you think that is? If you had to guess, uh, tenth. Okay. So Paige and Val's worst finish was each seventh. Okay. Cat's was fifth, and Kristen's is third. Oh, really? Okay. I thought Cat maybe had one week in there where she was outside the top five but wow nope. but none of those women worse than seventh that's interesting because we talk every week about how the fpo there's just so much more parity in the fpo field and yeah. i think the elite the the top echelon of players are are it seems like they're still always in the mix sure but there's always some new faces that sneak in there and kind of bubble to the top for a week and then maybe go back down towards the middle of the pack so right Pretty interesting. That's a good one. You got one for me? I do. 
So I'm calling this Guess the Stat the Katrina-ing edition. <laughs> so one of the things I've noticed with Katrina, um, I was driving out here to Southern California while the FPO was playing their final round. Yep. And I'm listening to the commentators and Katrina Allen birdies the first four, the first five, the first six, right? And I'm thinking, oh, God, she's doing it. Because Champions Cup and Waco, she set course records at both of those courses. And it was in the final round both times. And in those events, when she gets on those tears in the final round, she is just lacing fairways. She hits every putt that she steps up to that's in the circle, circle one or two. And it's like unreal, right? And so I'm listening and I'm like, oh God, she's buried the first six. Like there's nothing anyone can do, right? Like she's doing it again. And so I I had to do the math. I had to do the stats and figure out if her round three uh, ratings are on average higher than the round ratings of rounds one and round two. And so that's sort of the origin of this edition of Guess the Stat. So uh, I do not offhand have Katrina Allen's rating or her average round rating for 2022. But how I'll do this is uh, I would like you to guess Katrina Allen's average round rating for round one. And then I will again ask you for rounds two, three, and four. Four, keep in mind that we've only had three tournaments this year that have gone four rounds. So that okay. number is only going to be the average of three rounds. But yep. let's start out with round one. Okay. I am looking so, for the her average round rating. Yep. So I, I think I think that Katrina's rating is is low to mid nine seventies or maybe high nine seventies. 975 977 or something like that right now sure and it sounds like what you're getting at is that katrina tends to perform better in round three and maybe even round four so going off of that i've i feel like i've got to make the assumption that maybe her round one and two is a little lower for her to average out so for round one i'm gonna go with nine nine fifty five okay so as a little hint, I will tell you what her round ratings were for the four rounds of the DDO. Okay. So round one was 953. Okay. Pretty round close. two was 964. Okay. And both round three and round four were 1,001. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, I'm going to stick with my 955 for round one. Okay, so knowing that she shot 953 in round one of DDO makes that seem like a pretty darn good guess. Sure. Uh, it's actually a bit higher. So her round one average is 971.3. Wow, okay. So knowing that, would you like to guess her average for round two? I'll, I'm going to go with the same number. Okay, um, with, that, with the... that's an extremely good guess. Oh, oh yeah. what, when you say same, are you saying 971.3? Or no, no, no. 955. Nine, my 955. Okay. Um, it's 971.6. Okay. So it is within a point of her round one average. Her round one. Okay. Yes. Um, offhand, let me pull this up. So what I wrote in my notes was just her average for round three and round four, because there are so few rounds for round four. But yeah. I've got it pulled up here. So give me a guess for round three. Just round three. Uh, it's got to be a thousand. It's certainly higher than rounds one and round two. Uh, it's nine eighty four. Yep. So it's higher by about thirteen points. That's notable. Yes. And then how about for round four? All right. Now I've got to go with the thousand. It's one thousand three point seven. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's it's so different. So her three round four ratings are. 9.99 at LVC, followed by 10.11 at Champs Cup, and then 1,001 at DDO. 
Those are insane round ratings. Yes. So those I mean, are, those are like better rounds than you or I have ever had in our lives. Yes. Yeah. Not close. By a lot. Yes. So that Las Vegas challenge round four being nine ninety nine is so painful because we're so close to saying that she shoots a thousand rated yeah. every round four. You know. Yeah. We're not quite there, but. Yeah, so for rounds one and rounds two combined, her average is 971.4. And then for rounds three and four combined, it's 990. <laughs> it, it's so different. Close. So, so that was like this very organic... Um, we noticed that Katrina was playing much better in these later rounds, and then we kind of crunched the numbers it. on it. So now I have an instance of the opposite happening so as much as i would like to call this phenomena katrina-ing uh i think i have found someone who katrina's better than katrina and i would like to ask you if you have a guess as to who that is same same direction as far as them performing better as yes as rounds go on yep so this would be an mpo player an mpo player that plays better as rounds go on. Yes. So um, it's it's someone who, if you follow them on Instagram, has been saying that their round one performance always kills them. Oh, it's got to be Kyle Klein, right? Yes, it absolutely yeah. is. So a while back, I think it was Jonesboro, actually. So not that not that long ago. But he posted something on Instagram and said, finally, I had a round one that was respectable, you know. And so what I noticed in DDO uh, I saw where he was after round one, and it was not good. And I said, oh, no, he's doing it. <laughs> he's doing it again. And then combing through the stats this weekend after the tournament, I saw that he finished tied for 13th. And I said, oh, my God, he's doing it. He's doing it again. So it happened. It happened again. Um, and the numbers don't lie. He he plays <laughs> very poorly in round one compared to his other rounds. So I would like to go through this whole exercise again, guessing rounds one, two, three, and four average round ratings for Kyle Klein. Okay. So he's think, like a he's like I a ten forty like thirty five. Yeah. Yeah, he's like ten forty or something. Okay. So knowing that, would you like to guess his round one average rating? All right, it's got to be substantially lower. So I'm gonna go with a thousand. It's a thousand three. There you go. Yeah, it's so far lower. So then, how about round two? Round two, he's probably about average. That's probably in in the in the ten ten thirty range. Ten twenty two. Okay. Round three. I'll go ten thirty now. Ten forty two. Oh my god. And round four again. There's only been three rounds. I'll give him ten forty again. Ten fifty. Wow. No kidding, dude. So go, going up by more than a stroke each round. Yeah. So it's cool that. You know, we have Katrina, who was kind of quiet about it, but the numbers show that she she is very good at Katrina-ing. And Kyle was kind of like... Very vocal. You know, he it, put yeah. up the flag and he said, hey, you know, this is what's happening. And we said, oh, yeah, we can we can give you an objective measure of that. And so we you're, you're right, Kyle. Yep, yeah, the numbers don't lie, Kyle. You are absolutely correct. Uh, you suck at round one. That's That's all <laughs> we got for you. If he could play round four every round. Yeah, he'd if, if still be was allowed. He'd still be 10 points shy of Paul Macbeth's, you know, 1060 rating. Yep. That's a crazy thought. Holy that smokes. is a crazy thought. All right. Guess the stat. So on the season, there are so, so in my head, you know, you've got these sort of different tiers of different stats and for for circle two putting the the cutoff in my head for like an elite circle two putter is 30%. Um, okay. Yeah. That sounds pretty fair. Yeah. So, so on this season, there are currently 12 players that have 30% or better circle two. Okay. So we, you know, we've, we've talked about this in the past, but I wanted to bring it up because he had a particularly good performance this, this week. Brody Smith is an excellent circle two putter. Um, yep. You know, tournament after tournament, he's he's, you know, a, a really good circle two putter. And not that Brody's not great in other stats, but that that seems to be where he stands out. Is Brody Smith one of the twelve players that has thirty percent or better circle two putting? So yes. I, I guess 
I guess yes, I'm saying o- over under. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm saying over. Yeah. Okay. Brody is not one of those twelve what? players. He is he has twenty nine percent. Okay, is, sure. Which is yeah. only which is seventeenth. So the, there's quite a few players in that mix. But Okay. Yeah, I would have thought for sure because every week I notice yeah. that he's he puts really well in circle two. And it yep, seemed consistent enough right that I, I would have guessed that he would have been in that elite club. So Yep. Hmm. Yeah, very interesting. I have one more for you. Do you have another for me? I do not. Okay. Well, I'll I'll wrap up this. This is the final guess the stat. So again, this is on the season. And this is similar to what we did in the FPO, but this is MPO. But instead of talking about just podium finishes, I'm going to talk about top 10 finishes okay. um, in, in the MPO field with the wider field. Um, it's more interesting numbers if you widen it to, to top 10. And I'm not talking about total top 10 finishes on the season. I'm talking about active streaks. So players that have finished more than one tournament in the top 10 in a row, and, and that streak is still active. Okay. Which, which means, you know, I'll, I'll give you the hint. All of the players that I'm, I'm asking you to talk to me about right now finished in the top 10 at DDO. Otherwise, they would not have an active streak. You are correct. <laughs> there, are, there are five of them. Okay. Five players that have finished in the top 10 more than once in a row. Can okay. You, can you tell me who they are? And then, for bonus points... I'd like you to tell me who has the most. Okay. So I know Gannon Burr is on that list. Okay. Um, I know Rookie is on that list. Okay. One of the questions I'm asking myself right now without the stats in front of me is, did Calvin finish in top 10 in this tournament? And I think think he like uh i think he did i think he finished 10th and obviously he won jonesboro um i'm gonna i'm gonna say he also has a streak okay uh simon finished like sixth i think at jonesboro so i i think he has a streak Okay. Oh man. I think that's all I got. You so there are five, and yep. I will tell you that you are four for four uh, so yes. far. Yes. Okay. You, oh you've gotten four man. All right. So thinking of the top ten at DDO. So Rick won. Simon wasn't second. The guys who finished in third were Brody, who I don't, I didn't think he finished top 10 in Jonesboro. I thought I would have remembered that. Uh, Logan Harpool, I don't think was in the mix. Vina Makala, I don't think was in the mix. Uh, Aaron Gossage. Eh. I think eighth was like, well, tied for eighth was gt hancock and i didn't think he was in the top hmm i'm gonna i'm gonna say aaron gossage okay uh you're gonna be upset with yourself yeah it's it's chris oh he finished eighth yeah Yeah. he tied for eighth yeah okay yep yeah so chris was 12th at lvc and then he has been in the top 10 in the the next seven events wow so his worst finish is 12th 12th and then you know he's had two eighths a fourth a fifth and three wins yeah that's your front runner for player of the year right there yeah if if things ended ended right now i I think it's definitely him yeah Um, for sure it's a long season and we've got a lot to talk about but i i think we got to take take a few seconds and just just talk about Ginnon Burr. I mean, you know, when we started doing some practice runs for this podcast, you know, when we were talking through LVC and some of the other tournaments, the the obvious question was, you know, can he keep it up? And 
you know, we didn't publish that podcast, but one of the things that we talked about was, you know, his, his stats show that this is not, he didn't have like an uncharacteristically good tournament. I mean, the kid is good and he's consistently good. And, you know, we're, we were asking ourselves, are we going to continue to see this kid? And I mean, holy crap. Yes. I mean, five top 10 finishes in a row. He's not just some kid who's like had a couple good rounds. I mean, he is here to stay. He is, he is an elite player. Yeah. I think the thing that stood out for me at Vegas was he plays very smart, right? And the thing that stands out even more is that he plays, he doesn't crack under pressure. Right. And so when you have both of those two things combined, it, yeah, I mean, he should be in the mix, it seems like, at every tournament. Oh. And he is. He's had like he four is. consecutive top tens. You and, know? you know, he, he finishes in second and everybody's like, oh man, you know, Gannon's, Gannon's a great player, but maybe he kind of blew his, his, his fleeting opportunity to win a Pro Tour event. And it's like, the guy's got a fourth, a fifth, a seventh. I mean, he's he's creating more opportunities for him, him and it's only a matter of time before he comes away with one of these. Yeah, you know, 10 years from now. In tour ranking. Yeah, 10 years from now, he's going to be 26. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah, that's younger than Ricky. That's younger than Paul. That's younger that's, than Chris. It's younger than what we typically consider an athlete's prime. Right. So, yeah. He'll have his wins, you know. It's crazy to think how much arm talent he has for how young he is and what that's going to mean in five years. Yeah. Yep. The big thing for me is how few uh, bogey or worse holes that he has. He's like one of the best. And he reminds me of, of like a young Eagle in the sense that not only is he an elite thrower, but I mean, he's one, he's one of the best putters on tour. Yep. Without question. Him, Kyle Klein, Andrew Marweed are all guys, I think, that are those really young elite putters. Yeah. And uh, Gannon's obviously by far the youngest of that trio. Sure. But I think those three are really that young wave of excellent putting that that could be the status quo five years from now, you know? All right, Joe, I think that's it, my man. Uh, Do you have anything else for us? No, I think that's it. I think that's it. So next week, there is the Helsinki Open being played overseas. But I think we're going to take that week off. Well, we're going to take it off from covering a tournament. Instead, we are going to do a more generic episode talking about the stats of the sport. So what do all these stats mean? How do we interpret them and use them? And... Yeah, just how how do we interpret and use these stats effectively? It'll be a good reference episode. So maybe in the future we'll talk about stats and we'll say, hey, if you don't know what we're talking about, go back and reference episode three where we talk about all these stats and what they mean, etc. So I think, Joe, if you've got nothing else, that's really just the plan for next week. I Sounds good to me. That's all I got. Perfect. So until then... We'll see you next time. Catch you later. Peace.